reports in the Middle East and in much of Europe last summer, they had devastating and terrible droughts. One of the interesting things that happens when you go through difficult periods of drought is that things become exposed in ways that you hadn't seen before. And so what is devastating for a community is often really exciting for people like archaeologists. In Iraq, a lake receded by the waters so much that they discovered this picture. They discovered a palace in Iraq that was 3,400 years old. And they got to pick apart in the ruins and discover new aspects of life in that community that they had never witnessed before. In Spain, they discovered this image. They discovered what now is called the Spanish Stonehenge. These stones, organized in a similar way to the famous Stonehenge, are over 7,000 years old. All revealed because of a drought. Most of us don't know any archaeologists. The only archaeologist we might be familiar with is Indiana Jones, and Indiana Jones is not the one who gave this quote, so I want to give this quote to you, and it says this. Droughts are destructive, but they also reveal. In other words, when you and I go through those periods of time of severity and scarcity, those are the moments where God tends to reveal himself to us. We're in the midst of a series of messages where we're learning about life at home and how God uniquely meets us in the home. And so we've talked about these different topics. We've talked about our lives that could overflow at home, where we can learn to worship at home, where we can discover grace at home. And today we're going to discover what it's like to trust. And we're going to do so in our homes. And so to do that, I want to share with you a time when there was a biblical period of drought. A drought in the time of the Bible was not just a time when you couldn't water your lawns and that there were water restrictions. A drought was a severe economic recession and a horrible reality that affected entire regions and sometimes affected you for years. And I want to tell you the story that comes from 1 Kings of Elijah fleeing for his life when the drought finally takes hold and he finds himself discovering God in a whole new way. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so Elijah went to Zarephath, and when he came and approached the town gate, a widow was there collecting sticks. Elijah called out to her and asked her, Would you bring me a little bit of water in a jar so that I might have a drink? As she was going to get it, he asked, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. The widow turned around and said, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a little bit of flour and a jar and a little bit of olive oil and a jug. I am here gathering sticks so that I might go home and make a meal for me and my son and that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, 
But first, make me a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And so the woman left, went away, and did what Elijah had instructed. And so there was food for Elijah each day, and for the woman, and for her family. For the jar was not used up. The jug did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord, as spoken by Elijah. I remember the day that I was in the shopping store of a grocery outlet and we were preparing for a massive purchase for a spring break camping trip to Big Bend National Park. Was with a group of my guy friends. There were about 13 of us that were going to go hiking and backpacking and camping together. And so we were doing all the buying together and we all had different assignments. And I was paired up with Jeff and one of the meals that we were responsible for was one of the least uh, expensive meals that we were going to eat. We were going to eat some ramen that night. Jeff and I got into an argument in the middle of the ramen aisle over whether we were going to buy the generic ramen or whether we were going to buy the name brand ramen. At the time, that was a three cent difference for every packet. The generic ramen really scared me. Couldn't really tell where that was from or if it was any good, so I was willing to pay the extra couple of pennies. Jeff didn't want to pay the pennies, and he and I started getting into an argument over a couple of cents per packet. Eventually, I just said, you know what? I'll pay for it myself. And he walked off and he was angry. Some of our friends said, you guys need to go outside and sort this out, which we did. And we did in a way that I didn't expect. You see, Jeff and I were friends, but we often ate in the dining hall together and you never really purchased food. You just went up and you got your tray and your plate. But what I discovered through that conflict was that Jeff had grown up hungry. And he never wasted any money on food. He told me of a time when he remembered one day, one evening, standing around his dinner table, holding the hands of his sisters and his brother, and praying around an empty dinner table because they didn't have anything to eat as a family. But they gathered to pray anyway. And someone from their congregation showed up with food. You see, Jeff had been through hard times and through droughts in his life in ways that I had never experienced. And what I discovered over time was that God had revealed himself to Jeff in ways that he had not revealed himself to me in my prosperity and in my ease. Over the years, I've experienced my own droughts now. And I have walked alongside many a person as they have gone through those periods of scarcity and severity. And I'm here to tell you today that as we go collectively through this drought, that God 
is revealing himself to us in ways that we never really imagined. And so today, based on this story of the prophecy of Elijah, I'd love to share with you a couple of the ways that we discover that God reveals himself to us. And so in droughts, God first shows up in unexpected ways. He shows up in unexpected ways. You see, where Elijah is, the brook dries up and he can no longer sustain himself in the wilderness and he has to go somewhere. And the word of the Lord comes to him and this word of God tells him to go to Zarephath and tells him to go meet a widow. Now, we read these parts of the Bible, and it's just a name, and it's just a person, and so we don't think anything of it, but we have to pause right there to recognize that Zarephath is a real place, and this widow was a real woman, and that this request from God was utterly bizarre. I want to show you a map of where Zarephath was compared to where Elijah was in the wilderness. And while this may not mean a lot to us, he is going far enough north that he is going into pagan enemy territory. He is going to a place that is highly unfamiliar and unforgiving to him and to the Israelites. And so as he goes up into the far north, one of the things that we discover is that God telling Elijah to go to Zarephath is like telling you to go on a lovely vacation to Syria. That's how hostile, that's how bizarre this request is. But the word Zarephath means refinement. It's where they used to refine metals in its day and age. And God is telling Elijah that he, in the midst of this drought, is about to go through a period of refinement. But God doesn't just tell him to go to a place. God also sends him to a particular kind of person, a widow. And for us, a widow could be of great means today, but that would not have been true in Elijah's time. This is not only saying like, hey, we want you to go to vacation in Syria. It's also like saying, hey, we want you to go to a beggar to get a loan. Such is the ridiculous nature of the request that God puts before Elijah And yet he goes in the midst of this unfamiliar place. God reveals himself in a whole new way. The farthest that I've ever been from home is one time when I got on a, not just a plane, but a series of planes and then a series of buses and cars in order to bump over incredibly dirty roads to get to a small village in Kenya. And as we got to the small village in Kenya, there were an incredible community that had gathered there together. We as a church had sponsored not only the primary education for a lot of kids through high school who were experiencing their first high school graduation, but also for a group of pastors who had been through two years of training in order to now be sent out and to share the gospel. I'm a a part of a community of trustees for a couple of different schools, and I've had a lot of opportunities to wear regalia, such as this floppy little hat that I earned in school. Uh, My daughter says that I look like a mushroom when I wear this. And so I've had a lot of occasions to put this on and to play with the tassel and to look graduates in the eyes and to tell them congratulations something that we definitely want to say to the incoming class as we anticipate 
um, what's going to be Senior Sunday next Sunday. But I'll tell you, I've never worn this hat in a way like I did in Africa. For you see, Pastor Joel asked me to pack all of my regalia and to look at that class and to give them a speech. For you see, they weren't just going to look for a better life. They were going to the slums of Nairobi and to the most hard and hardened areas of the country of Kenya, whether by conflict or by disease like AIDS and malaria. Their only possession was likely the one book they owned, a Bible, and the clothes on their back. And when I saw their trust, their faith, I knew that going all the way to that unfamiliar place had been worth the journey. God might ask you in this drought time to go beyond a comfort zone, a boundary that you normally are very firm in keeping. But I'm here to tell you that when you go beyond your comfort zone and into an unfamiliar land, you will discover trust. And so first in droughts, God shows up in unexpected ways and unexpected places and people. And secondly, in droughts, God establishes uncommon priorities. I mean, the very clear priority of the world, right, is that you do what is right for you. You do what's in your own self-interest. You look out for number one for yourself. You take care of yourself first and then you might take care of somebody else. And yet in the kingdom of God, those priorities get turned upside down. In the encounter of Elijah with this widow, he tells her to go and to do what she would normally do, but then he says the word, but first. And the widow demonstrates her faithfulness through an act of honesty and generosity. That's a story that echoes down through the centuries. I want to show you a picture here of a young man, 19 years old. His name is Jose Nunez. He comes from a meager background, so meager that in order for his grandfather to buy some socks, he had to go to this ATM machine in order to make a deposit. After making the deposit, he looked to the side of the ATM and he noticed that there was a bag sitting there. This is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the bag on this Sunday morning was filled with 50s and 20s. It was a bag containing $135,000 of small bills just sitting there. Because it was Sunday morning, the bank was closed. And so Jose thought about what his mom would tell him to do. And he pulled out his phone and he called the police. And he waited there until the cops came to pick up the money. It seems that the ATM company that resourced the machine accidentally left the stash sitting there. Jose had never seen that much money in his life, had never conceived of that much money in his life. 
but his mama raised him right. His priorities of honesty and generosity are true. And in a time right now that's filled with bad news where all the injustices of our society are readily apparent to all of us, the brokenness of our histories and the way that we live. Stories like Jose's story rekindle my faith. If a widow can be faithful with what little she has, and if Jose can be faithful with what little he has, can you be faithful with what you have? Just want to show you another quick picture of Jose, and he wants to go into law enforcement, and I'm venturing to say that this commendation is a really good step in the right direction. And so in periods of drought, God does a variety of things. He shows up in unexpected ways. He establishes uncommon priorities. And thirdly, he performs unseen mercies, things that are normally hidden that get revealed. You know, the Bible's filled with a lot of miracles. Some of them are pretty big and dramatic, like the Red Sea, the very contest that Elijah will have at the top of Mount Carmel with the false prophets of Baal. And yet, most of the miracles in the Bible, if you actually read through it, happen in out-of-the-way and out-of-the-spotlight moments. Most of the miracles of the Bible happen in homes to unsuspecting people. Because one of the things that's very clear about the ministry of Jesus is that God's not in the miracle business for show. God's not trying to draw any attention to himself. Jesus often referred to giving in secret. Elijah has these different contests and they're in the court of the king and they're in the wilderness and they're here in the home and they're at the top of Mount Carmel and then at Mount Horeb, where, which we call Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, all these different environments. And the question is, will he be faithful in all those places? And will God be true in all of those ways, even in the unseen moments? There's the famous story of Charles Purgeon, who is one of the most significant preachers in American history. And Charles Spurgeon, as he provided for his family, did so primarily through his ministry. But one of the things that they would do on their farm is that they would, they would also raise chickens and uh, kind of sell the eggs. Many people accuse Charles and his wife of being stingy because they never gave away a single egg. They only sold them even to close friends and family members. And people would grumble about this. And the Spurgeons knew that people were kind of upset with them about this and thought that they were being stingy, but they continued to do it anyway. You see, the reason that they never gave away the eggs and they only sold them is that secretly only to the two Spurgeons and only revealed later in life is that they secretly supported two widows who could not provide uniquely for themselves. And the Spurgeons used the proceeds from every egg that they sold in order to give to those widows. So that's why they weren't willing to give them away. But they did this in secret. 
because they believe that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. We live in an age of self-promotion. And we could learn a thing or two about what it means to engage in secret service, secret mercies. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said it like this. Let us hide away our charity. Yes, hide it even from ourselves. Give so often and so much as a matter of course that you no more take note that you have helped the poor than you have eaten your regular meals. Do your alms without even whispering to yourself how generous I am. Do not thus attempt to reward yourself. Leave the matter with God who never fails to see, to record, and to reward. This is the bread which eaten by stealth is sweeter than the banquets of kings. How can I indulge myself today with this delightful luxury? God will meet you in those moments of droughts, of insecurity. And one of the ways that he primarily works is in hidden ways. When the spotlight is off, when your Instagram handle is disactivated. And in those quiet places, that's where God will meet us. And it's where he calls us to serve too, to serve in ways that doesn't draw attention to itself. And so in droughts, God shows up in unexpected places and ways of people, establishes uncommon priorities, performs unseen mercies, and finally produces undeniable faith. This widow demonstrates incredible faith, not just in the story that we read, but in the story that follows where in the midst of this drought, her son tragically dies. And she blames Elijah and blames his God, blames herself. And Elijah takes the boy, takes him into the bedroom, closes the curtain, and stretches himself out in prayer. God, have you brought me to this house only to bring calamity on this woman and the one thing that she has been given? And as a precursor for what Jesus will do, God answers that prayer and raises that boy from the dead. And he gets to hand the boy back to his mother. And with tears in her eyes, the mother says, now I know. Now I know. Now I know an undeniable faith from the great resurrection. I want to show you a picture up on a screen of a person that you probably don't know. Her name is Anna Maria Jarvis. She was born in 1864. She was one of 11 children. She was born in the order of ninth. And sadly, seven of the nine children who were born before her died before the age of three. 
If you know your history in America, being born in 1864, she was born in West Virginia, means that you were born right in the aftermath of the atrocities and the pain of a border state in the midst of the Civil War. And as a young child, she watched her mom organize nurses and the care for people on both sides of the border to try to provide a little bit of mercy in the midst of America's most horrific conflict. Her mother was also her Sunday school teacher. She remembers being 13 years old and being in a Sunday school class when her mother said this. Her mother said, I hope and pray that someone, sometime, will found a Memorial Mother's Day, commemorating her for the matchless service she renders to humanity in every field of life. Anna Marie remembered these words, and when her mother died in 1905, she started a movement, a movement requiring great faith in honoring the primary people who instill our faith, our moms. And so within three years, the movement of Mother's Day had taken off, starting first in West Virginia and spreading to Philadelphia, where she had moved, and then becoming a national day of celebration, of prayer, of gratitude. She lived long enough to see the commercialization of this holiday She ridiculed people who would buy a greeting card for a mom, saying, what is it, the highest of laziness that you cannot write your words of thanks to your own mother? She abhorred people buying chocolate for mom, thinking that they were doing so only to eat most of the chocolates themselves. But the most amazing thing of all, Mother's Day was not founded to uphold some historic Victorian ideal of motherhood. It was the rough and tumble of a mom trying to organize mercy right near the battlefields of America's civil war. That is undeniable faith. I don't know where God is for you in this period of drought, severity, and scarcity. Here's what I do know. From God's word, four things are likely happening. That God is showing up in unexpected ways. That God is asking you to establish the priorities of the kingdom over your own priorities that he is performing and asking you to help in unseen mercies, in quiet deliverances of grace, and that he is working within your own soul to produce an inarguable kind of faith. This is what God is doing. If only we will have the eyes and the ears to see it. 
And so in periods of drought, they're incredibly destructive. But they also reveal. May God reveal himself to you in new ways in this period of drought. And so let us pray. Our loving God and Father, you will send us into strange and unfamiliar territories in this coming season. And that might not be foreign countries, but they may be the frontiers of our heart and our soul and our community. I pray that you will disrupt our lives. Disrupt them with your mercies and with your challenges. And that you will equip each and every one of us to practice the secret service of following you. Of continuing the resurrection joy and journey. And so, Lord, meet us in our homes and instill within us a new sense of trust, a deeper faith that, Lord, you are the same in the court of the king and in the wilderness, on the top of the mountain, as well as in the home. And so, Spirit of the living God, teach us to trust again not just us individually, but restore our trust in one another as a society. Lord, in the midst of racism and fear and pain and job loss and anxiety, bring us back together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.